Hello, Evolvers. Betty Monroe, podcast producer and marketing manager for the Evolve Selling Institute here. 2020 is finally over, and what a year it has been. We've endured a pandemic, financial upheaval, and adapted to some pretty big changes in the way we do business and navigate our worlds. We are ever grateful to you, our Evolvers family. In just this, our first year, we've recorded some 85 podcast episodes featuring some pretty amazing guests. From sales enablement veterans to analysts from Forrester to fellow podcasters within the profession, we wanted to say thank you for continuing to support and grow our ever-evolving community. In this Best of the Year episode, we feature some key moments from just a few of our standout episodes with guests such as David Premer, Mary Shea, and Anita Nielsen, to name a few. There were so many, it was hard to choose. We look forward to creating new content for you all from all of us at the Evolve Selling Institute. Have a happy and healthy holiday season and cheers to a great new year. More to come in 2021. Please enjoy. Hi, this is Tom Pasello with the Evolvers Podcast. And today I'm pleased to interview Dan Sixsmith. He's well known for his Sales is King podcast and consultancy helping sales professionals change their mindset, aim higher, perform better, and achieve their goals. I've had the pleasure of working with Dan over the past eight years. Now at Mediafly, a leading sales enablement firm, but originally at Alinean, developer of value-focused messaging and interactive sales tools. He's been a top performer for these organizations almost every year, and I'm so excited for him to share his winning ways with us today. Dan, I, I know you've had quite an evolution in your career, and you're truly the definition of what we call an evolver. Uh, can you tell us how you got started in your career? Yeah, sure, Tom. Great to be here, and, and thank you, and congratulations on this podcast. So yeah, I started out in sales long ago uh, in the uh, late 80s and 90s. I started out in the manufacturing space, actually in the textile industry, selling into garment manufacturers. And um, certainly it was a great experience. I had a great training program with a company called Milliken. And they were actually talking about things way back when uh, about value selling and how to sell, um, which was really uh, amazing. But in the, in was, the garments, right? Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. like the, the quality and yeah. buying a, a quality, you know, versus the actual selling price. And, uh, but it was great. And I spent um, 20 years in that industry and I tell people the first 10 years were great and the second 10 were a nightmare because <laughs> the industry started to unravel and all the business started to go to Asia because uh, companies were scrambling to go to low-cost countries so it was um, a great experience actually in selling in a real cutthroat shrinking market and it really taught me in those second 10 years how to really really sell um <laughs> you know when the stakes are high and and when it's when it's survival yeah. so um yeah it was and, it was very good experience and then you changed industries completely so the garment industry changes your you know the whole business really dries up to where mm -hmm. sellers are almost not needed because the whole industry commoditized which we see happen in some consumer spaces mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then you went to uh an agency in new york is that correct yeah, so I had been trying to get out of textiles for a while and I was networking because I could see that the, uh, the plank was getting short. And um, I wound up uh, getting connected with the CEO of a, of a, of a young 
interactive marketing agency called Indelible Media. And it was a total career shift at age 42 um, to really learn a whole new way of selling, uh, you know, moving from something as simple as selling fabrics in different colors to now shifting to talking about strategy and creative and websites and, and social media um, and media strategy and, um, you know, interactive uh, videos and things mm -hmm. of that sort. So it was a real um, complete pivot. Uh, I have to thank the, you know, the guys there really taught me on the fly and I leveraged a lot of my connections and uh, was really able to kind of uh, pivot, you know, at that point in my career and start selling a whole different type of more consultative yeah, and you were selling something that was intangible and that really had to be right. customized and designed. So you move from being able to show someone fabrics and get them to touch it and feel it and um, to now something that was intangible and mm -hmm. you had to be very consultative with it. And then finally, you moved over to, to B2B sales enablement mm -hmm. and value selling. Mm -hmm. So, which is what I want to talk to you about yeah. today, which yeah. you know, we see from all the researchers, whether it's CSO Insights, Forrester, Gartner, Serious Decisions, sellers, they're still falling short of buyer expectations. They're too quick. We see it in a lot of sales calls that I know you and I participate, too mm -hmm. quick to go and jump into a, a kind of a linear sales pitch, a show up and throw up kind of environment or right to a demo, right? And uh, even if a buyer asks, uh, ask for it, a lot of times we find that going into demos are, are too quick. But, you know, are you seeing the same thing from the sellers that you consult with? Yes, uh, for sure. And I think it comes down to just um, comfort level, you know, and, and just falling back on what salespeople are comfortable with. And um, depending on your personality, right? So there's a lot of research that shows that uh, introverts are actually very good salespeople today because they care about the other person more than themselves. So they're willing to do a more detailed discovery and ask questions and actually listen versus sometimes the extroverts want to just talk the whole time and do a lot mm -hmm. of bloviating. But I think from a comfort perspective, you know, by definition, salespeople know the most about the solution and the PowerPoint and, and, and they're kind of rehearsed and um, developing the skills of asking questions, um, actively listening, and then being able to kind of then weave in their solution, I think is just a new skill that um, a lot of sellers just haven't, I don't think, invested enough time in, in learning yet. We're on the cusp of a new decade, right? And I know that Forrester has some really important research that you've been pulling together to guide sellers and marketers into this new decade. And it, it's going to be a decade of tremendous transition that we're already feeling the effects to. So let's dive in. First, buyers in 2020. How are they different? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, we're doing a ton of research that really looks at the future of buying, future of selling, and the future of products. And we're collaborating with uh, both the Forrester analysts, traditional Forrester analysts, along, along with our serious decisions colleagues as well. So super exciting stuff we're working on. You know, I would say the biggest thing about buyers today is that they want the best of all worlds. They want to engage and transact both in online and offline settings. And, um, you know, it's not an either or experience. I think even three or four years ago when I was speaking at one of our recent forums, I was talking a lot about buyers that wanted a frictionless 
exchange or a high value interaction. It was kind of a bifurcated process. And if you were a transactional high volume type of business or product and service, uh, you had to think about e-commerce. And if you were a complex product or service that used sellers, you were probably thinking of that high value touch and interaction. So now buyers have continued to evolve and grow and they're smart and, and they want the best of both worlds. So they want to transact and engage in both online and offline settings. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to attend the B2B Next event, which took place in Chicago. And Andy Hoare, who leads that event, is a good friend of mine. He invited me to speak, and I had some great experience being there. You know, and I talked to Andy, and, and, and he said, you know, where and how B2B buyers make a purchase is pretty much of a seller construct. And B2B buyers increasingly don't care about it. And so today they want the best of both worlds online and offline. But as we move forward in the future, I think buyers are going to expect to engage anywhere, anytime, independent of channel or touch point. And uh, they're going to expect to transact. And this separation between online and offline that we have today is soon going to become a distinction without a difference. Yeah, We're not okay. quite there yet. But and, I think that's the where distinction we're going. too between sales, marketing, customer success. Those lines are going to probably similarly blur as the buyer forces the that um, seamless and frictionless uh, transaction. Tanya, on my desk, and I'm looking at it right now. It's a transformative quote from Buddha that I try to embody each and every day. What you think you become, what you feel you attract, what you imagine you create. And as a seller, tell us why you think having such an enlightened mindset like that, why that's so important. It links directly to neuroscience. We have three definitive aspects of self. So the mental body, the physical body, and then the energy body. And they all have to be inextricably interlinked and in balance. Now, when you get that right, what happens is you avoid something called inattentional blindness. When one is in a fight, flight, or freeze state, which invokes the amygdala and surrounding areas in the brain, you actually end up blocking the ability to see opportunities around you. So when you are in alignment, you have a far greater aspect because you lean into the neocortex and the prefrontal cortex and the areas of the brain that are a little bit more on the conscious level where they're able to see opportunities far more than people who are in a fear state. Awesome. And so the whole thing is to quiet that kind of reptilian, that more primitive brain, the, the uh, fight or flight response so that you can think clearly and that you can see and be conscious, correct? 100%. Awesome. So uh, one of my favorite neuroscientists, he tells us about 1.5 seconds and how that's our reality. It's that short. Everything before it, it's imperfect memory and a story that we tell ourselves kind of about our past and about our history. And a lot of times folks get wrapped up into that, right? They, it, it amplifies um, the expectations and the anxiety about the present by thinking about the past. Maybe it was that deal they lost or the presentation that went wrong or something like that. And then we have anxiety and expectations about the future as well, right? Where we take that past history and then we're kind of applying that to worry about things in the future. Well, if I call, will I say the right thing or will they even pick up and respond to me? And so as a seller, we're kind of get wrapped up into 
the past and maybe imperfect history and the story we tell ourselves about the past that might not be good and the future and then anxiety. So how do you get sellers that have kind of this imperfect view of the past and the future to kind of get over those hangups? Well, I've put it into a bit of a, a story. So I'd like you to imagine the biggest shopping mall you've ever been to in your life. And at the same time, try and imagine every single sound, every single color, every single light, every single experience. It's impossible. The brain is incapable of that. So what we create, and I call it the coffee shop. And in the coffee shop, you have decided what that world frame looks like because you've allowed a certain amount of the shopping mall to enter the coffee shop. So the shopping mall is indicative of your subconscious mind and your superconscious mind and your super superconscious mind. And it's too big to understand in its totality. So what we do is we then lean into the coffee shop, which is your conscious mind and your awareness. Now, if you are focusing on the negative, you're focusing on the things that you've done wrong, the bad deals, all the no's that you've had, and you're focusing on a current reality that you've decided exists, everything in your coffee shop or your conscious mind is going to be an awareness. So what I say to my teams and my groups is what we're going to do is we're going to put a right of admission reserved on that coffee shop door. And you're going to do a spring clean and decide what's in there. Does it belong there still? Are you still getting no's every single day? Or do you think you can lean into a skill set that can grow, enhance, and develop you? And obviously, that's an entire workshop that we go through. And we find blocks, things like money blocks. It's been identified that there are 24 money blocks, success blocks. Um, you might have been told as a child at school that you're not capable. And the person who told you was a teacher, and the teacher's always right, and it gets stuck in the coffee shop, and it lives there. So we go through a series of absolute questioning and does it belong in the coffee shop or can it go into the sea of the shopping mall? A recent research paper that I saw indicated that the growth in sales enablement, it was off the charts. It was like 80% from 2016 to 2017. And then it flattened after that to only 1.5% over the past two years. Why do you think the growth in sales enablement spend and implementation has plateaued? Well, I, I actually would go one step further. Um, I, I think it's in decline. Hmm. Um, so let, let, let Scott, me- Scott, you are not shy of um, <laughs> you know, uh, tackling something that could be controversial here or throwing something out that could be controversial. So, <laughs> so explain to me why you think it's in decline. Well, it's why I know it's in decline. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to be a, a jerk about it. It's no, 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 no. It's I, I think you're a, you're a protagonist. It gets us to think in a different yeah. way, and I absolutely love the perspective. There, there's there. If if we think about let let's treat sales enablement as a profession and think about a profession just like any kind of product cycle, right? Uh, there's the um, build up stage, the peak mm -hmm. stage, and the, the decline stage. And if you think about sort of the Gartner hype cycles, there's that uh, trough of disillusionment. Mm -hmm. That's where we're at right now. And the reason that we're in that trough of disillusionment, if you were to add up, uh, so we, when, when I was at Forrester, we first published a pretty, a lot of people say is it academic. I think it's a rigid uh, definition to build a role from, uh, mm -hmm. a, a function from, uh, in 2008. So here we are 12 years later. 
And during that, during that time, we've seen the hype go and, and then the players that have been doing the hyping come and go. Mm -hmm. So where's insidesales.com now? Where's uh, Clearside now? Where's Savo now? All of those companies uh, either are, are struggling, are getting their e, e round of funding, which if you know anything about that, that's not a good sign. Um, they were, They've been acquired and merged. Were pennies on the dollar. Of, yeah, exactly. That's, right? So, you know, Clearslide, which was supposed to revolutionize sales, right? They're now part of Corel. Mm -hmm. So the you know the the hype versus what the what the success rates are the gap is so significant that the executive leaders whom I speak to so this is one of the things that I found uh, really interesting as the sales enablement society was growing the number of calls that I would get about you know learn, trying to learn about it or, or from me about it I got no calls from sales enablement people about what's going on here how are we growing but I got calls from CEOs and I got calls from private equity heads. What venture is, yep. yeah, yeah, venture capitalists, people like that saying, what's going on here? We don't see any results. And then when we go to your communities and we, we listen in and, and see what people are talking about, we don't at all connect the dots between what, what's, what does frontline sales coaching have anything to do with the fact that we have, we're spending way more in sales and marketing than we are getting in revenue growth. Let's start at the beginning. As a seller, you first have to get a buyer's attention and get that first meeting. And with what we're faced with today, you know, recovering from the crisis, people working remote, everyone's distracted. It's not easy to break through. What do you recommend from a neuroscience decision-making perspective to get that first meeting? Yeah, I mean, the problem with so many of us is that we find ourselves in, in what I call the sea of sameness, meaning, you know, we just sound the same as everyone else. And, and even if we think that we're this, you know, delicate snowflake and we're well differentiated to our customers, we all just kind of sound the same because our customers aren't really out there thinking about us. They're out there and rightly so thinking about them and their problems and their concerns. And so, so many salespeople, they come out with their slick pitches and they talk about, oh, we got more RAM and ROM and it's made of aluminum and organic flour and like no one cares. They're always thinking about their problems. And so it's actually easier than you think to break through is there's a couple of pointers I would give. Number one is to think about like, what's the, the pain, the problem, the enemy of your customer and lead with that, right? So for example, let's say I'm in cerebral selling. I mean, it's, it's actually not a, a coincidence. If you go on my website, what does the front copy say? It says, you ever wonder why you don't like talking to salespeople? Mm -hmm. Now, why would it say that? Like my audience is salespeople. Right, but I'm willing to bet that they're, they have a challenge where they themselves realize they don't like talking to people like them. You know, as I was on another uh, podcast and the, the episode uh, was entitled, We've Seen the Enemy and They Are Us. So part of it is, is that there's an emotional part of our brain that actually governs a lot of the decision making. And, right. and if that part of the brain is overwhelmed, just as if it's removed, we are frozen in place with yeah. over choice, with fear, with this sense of overwhelming. And it's almost like you go into a shell, right? A protective shell. Yeah, from yeah. And, and so one of the things I think is definitely making sure you've got personalized value that's being delivered, but you know, and I'm the ROI guy, right? So I love value. Right. And that's a right. logical approach. Um, there's definitely an emotional 
uh, tasks that you can use too with simplification and some things around that. Can you talk to that a little bit and the psychology of trying to not add to the flood uh, and, yeah, and right. risk perception that the buyer has? Yeah, no, and I, you just said it, right? It's like you have to make sure that you're taking all the complexity out of that buyer's process and that journey. You may have got a map of a, you know, your buyer's journey and your sales process may be aligned with it, blah, 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 from the past couple of years, but now it's changed. So you have to be very sensitive to what that is and remove any additional complexity that you have, whether that's in your presentation of your product, whether that's in the process, like the actual process of getting a signature, whatever that looks like, don't give them a reason to fall off track, right? They've already got plenty of reasons, um, you know, to kind of talk themselves out of making a decision. So don't give them any more. So that, that's, I think, the, a very important piece of it. But I'll share with you something that has, honestly, it's been kind of life-changing for me just in terms of how I look at sales. I heard, of, and you'll know this one for sure, Tom. It's uh, Jonathan Haidt, who is a professor, professor of social psychology. He has this analogy where he talks about the human mind and change and I apply it to sales, but it, it's, a, it's very powerful. It talks about how in order for a decision to be made, imagine that there is a elephant on a road with a human rider atop of it. So when we know when you have to make a decision, you ultimately have to you know, kind of get moving. You have to get to the next level. In this analogy, the elephant represents the emotional mind, which is what we've been talking about, that lizard brain. Um, and then the rider, it represents the logical brain. And the path of it just represents where you need to go, right? What that change is. And if you think about it that way, if there is a disconnect between the logical and the emotional mind, the emotional mind is a six ton elephant. The logical man mind is a little writer. Who do you think wins? Mm -hmm. It's going to be the elephant every single time. So the writer can push the elephant, he can pull the elephant, he can do whatever he wants, but it's not going to move. It's too big. It's too much. So that's what we're talking about in terms of flooding and overwhelm. So we have to make sure that we're appealing to that elephant was what I like to say. And you, you have to be an elephant whisperer. And that just means you have to appeal to human beings' emotions because like you said, emotions are what are literally allowing people to make a decision. Logic is there to help justify it and, and you know, give you the information you need to rationalize. But that emotion is what's driving that decision, whether or not people like to admit it to themselves. Well, Evolvers, and there you have it, 2020 in a nutshell. Here's to an amazing 2021. Keep evolving, Evolvers, until next year. See you soon.